Good morning, everyone. If you need a Bible, uh, please raise your hand. It will also be on the screen. And the Bible reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 1. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ. But you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, But of power, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit?
I remember it very clearly. I was in year seven, first year of high school, and it was the morning after parent-teacher night. We're sitting down having breakfast, and my parents say to me, so, we've found out about your art classes. I start thinking to myself, what is it? What could it possibly be? And they tell me what my art teacher said to them about me. I said, she told them, oh, he's a very nice boy. I think, whew, got that one, Pastor. But he's never going to be an artist. And she was right. Art is not my forte. Let me compare for a moment some of my drawings compared to my three-year-old daughter's. Uh, This is uh, Eva's drawing that's hanging on our fridge. As as you can tell for her craft at the moment consists of scissors and stickers and maybe a little bit of coloured pencils in there. That's what you get with her, three-year-old, not too bad. This is my art. (laughs) After 33 years in the world, that's the extent of my artistic ability. Stick figures and moons that kind of look like bananas. I'm not an artist. Not at all. And yet, I can draw this. Check this out. This is what I drew last night. It's impressive. Ready? That's Winnie the Pooh. Thank you. Yes, Simon. You should be impressed. For someone with my artistic ability to do that is... Well, actually, it's a little bit easy. Let me tell you how I did it. I just traced it. (laughs) The pattern is there. The shape is already there. I just put a bit of paper on top, and suddenly this novice can actually draw. So what's that got to do with anything? In 1 Corinthians 4, we're told about a pattern. Not, not a pattern on a page, though. Paul, the, the writer of the letter, he's talking about a pattern of living, a, a certain shape to life. It's a shape to life that he's traced over, and now his own life looks like that. It's become the shape of his life. But he says the Corinthian church, the people he's writing to, they live by a different pattern. They've been tracing over a different kind of shape, so to speak. And Paul wants to call them to change. To start living according to the same pattern he has. Paul's calling on them to get in shape. Not to be fit and active and healthy, but to start living according to the same pattern that he has been living to. I want to say this is a dangerous chapter for us to read. Because not only is Paul calling on the Corinthians to change, he's calling on us to change too. So are you ready to delve into this? Here's the first point for today. God's actually the one who determines who is in shape. See, at the end of the day, there's only one person whose approval matters. That is God's. And as a church leader, Paul knows that he's going to be judged. But it's not the church who says if he's done a good job. It's not any external kind of human court. Paul says it's not even down to my own self-assessment about how I'm going. You get it clearly at the end of verse 4. He says, it is the Lord who judges me. And this is actually a really good thing because God's judgment shows things for what they really are. Look at verse 5. 
Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of their heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. A few years ago, Pip and I travelled a little bit around New Zealand. There was, uh, we happened to be in New Zealand. There was no rush to get home. And uh, so we decided to hire a camper van. And for a few days, we just trekked around different parts of the North Island. It was kind of great. But there was one night we decided we were going to go to this particular camping ground. Um, it was kind of in a remote location, but it was free, so that was very appealing. So we've got our map out. We're trying to find our way along the road there, and we go on and on and on. We, 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 we figure we're on the right road. We're driving along, and the road becomes uh, more of a dirt track, and it gets narrower and narrower, and the, the trees start kind of to hang over. Uh, we, we, we go a couple of times thinking, is that supposed to be it? No, I don't think so. Is that supposed to be it? No, I don't think so. And we're going on. It's getting dark until finally we come to a place and we think, we're pretty sure this is it. But it's too dark to really know for sure. It's the kind of darkness where you can barely find your way to the pit toilet over there somewhere and you just keep walking and walking until basically you bump into it and, well, there it is. But the darkness made the morning all the more magical. You wake up and the sun is crisp and clean and everything that was hidden the night before is now in open view. You can see it all. And you think, this is kind of remote New Zealand. You can imagine it's pretty spectacular, right? The stream was just down over there. The mountains over here were covered in forest, the open glade in front of us. It was very beautiful, spectacular. That's what God is like in this chapter. He's that bright morning sun that shows everything for what it really is. All that we don't see now, he will bring to light. That's, that's the problem with our judgments, isn't it? We see things, but we don't see everything. And so it can be so easy for us to actually make the wrong call. God never has that problem. He sees all and he brings everything to light. And so when it comes to church leaders, ultimately it's not you or I who determines who's in shape. God does that. This doesn't mean we just have to accept every church leader that we come across paths with. There's more to say on this in a moment. But it does mean we ought, we ought to be slow to make our judgment calls. To recognize that we don't see the whole picture. And to remember that ultimate judgment isn't up to us. We can get it wrong, but God will not. There's something else, though, in these verses I just want to plumb it for us. Look at the end of, uh, end of verse 5 again. He's saying, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. End of verse 5. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, can you think of anything better to get than that? God's approval, God's praise. Isn't that really what you want your leaders to be working for? In fact, why not pray this for them? Whether they be your community group leaders or, or the leaders at Trinity Kids or at Fixed Youth Group or the leadership team, whoever they are, pray that your leaders will be people who want God's praise. 
not the praise of other people. In fact, isn't this what you want for yourself too? This is hard for most of us, isn't it? Because don't you want others to like you? The, the praise of other people, it's a really attractive, a really desirable thing. It sure is for me. But how much better to receive praise from God? Isn't that what you really want? Isn't that what you really want to strive for? God is the one who determines who is in shape and who isn't. In the next few verses, we see what it means to be in shape. We see what what is the pattern that God wants us to live by. Have you heard the old joke? A man walks into the doctor's and the doctor says to him, Hey, Bob, you really need to get in shape. Bob kind of looks puzzled and he says, What do you mean, Doc? I am in shape. Round is a shape. Yes, thank you. Great, I worked on that one all night. I'm a week, a week late on my dad's joke for Father's Day, aren't I? Yeah. Here's the second point for today. Being in shape means being cross-shaped. The ancient Corinthian church is a church full of people who think they've got it all. They think they're the mature ones. They've made it. They're kind of on a high spiritual level. Look at what it means for them. Look at what they're like. Verse 6, they take pride in one leader against another. In verse 7, they boast about what they have, forgetting that they've actually received it from God. In verse 8, let's read verse 8. Already, you Corinthians, Paul writes, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You have begun to reign and that without us. It's not that Paul's saying they do have these. He's not saying that they really are rich and reigning. But the writer Paul here, it seems like it's like he's nearly ridiculing them. Because they think of themselves as so mature, so spiritual. They think of themselves as those who've made it. that they've, They're successful. They've, they've, they've got it all. If the Corinthian church has a shape to their life, the shape of their life is like an overflowing cup. They feel like they've got it all and they've got it in abundance. But Paul rejects this. He says that's not the shape of maturity. And instead he points to the way that he lives and the way that other church leaders live. Check it out in verse 9. Paul says, Paul writes, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to humans. Paul's using an image. He he talks of himself like a gladiator. Not like Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe's like a hero gladiator, a warrior. Paul's talking about a doomed gladiator, one who's paraded about, laughed at, mocked, and then thrown in the arena to do a battle to the death. And even the last person surviving just gets the lions after that. There's a real difference between this way of living and the Corinthian way of living. Look at verse 10 again. It's nearly like the ridiculing starts again. Paul says... 
We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. There's a real difference there, isn't there? It goes on in verse 11. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. As you read through and as you hear this, the question bobbles around, doesn't it? Who does this remind you of? It's, it's Jesus, isn't it? It's Jesus. He was brutally treated, persecuted, cursed and slandered. But he endured it. And he spoke kindly to others when they slandered him. And he blessed others when, when they cursed him. This is how Jesus lived. But especially, this is how Jesus lived at the time of the cross, when he went to the cross, when he was crucified and died on the cross, when he sacrificed himself for us so we could have life with God again. This is the shape of life for Paul and and other church leaders. It's a cross-shaped life, a life like Jesus. That's the point again. Being in shape means being cross-shaped. I don't often watch Q&A. It's a show on the ABC where there's a host, a a panel of guests and an audience who asks questions to the guests. I don't often watch it anymore, but a few years ago, a friend of mine said, I had to watch this particular episode. On the episode, there were questions being thrown around, questions on asylum seekers and marriage and atheism and religion. And one of the guests on that show was this guy, Peter Jensen. That's him sitting next to the host there. Uh, Peter is a church leader in Sydney. On this particular night, on this program, uh, Peter was called a misogynist, a dinosaur, out of touch, homophobic. People constantly spoke over the top of him. His answers were met with ridicule. But his response was kindness. He didn't look to score cheap points by name-calling. He didn't look to fight fire with fire. He copped it on the chin. He acted in love. This was only a snippet of his life, not more than 60 minutes. But in that snippet on his life, you got to see the shape of how he lived. It was the shape of how Jesus lived too. The cross-shaped life. That was a beautiful thing to see. But here's the sting in the tail of this chapter. This pattern, this, this, this shape of life, Paul has said how this is how we as church leaders live. But it's not just for church leaders. This is the shape of life, the pattern of life for everyone as we're all called to follow the cross-shaped pattern of living. See, the writer Paul, he's just explained, this is how I live, and then look what he says in verse 16. 
He says, therefore, I urge you, Corinthians, to imitate me. Copy that pattern that I've been tracing out for you. That's the pattern I traced from Jesus. Now you go and copy that in your life too. In fact, this is so important that Paul sends a Timothy to visit the Corinthian church. Timothy was, he was a church leader too. He was like Paul's apprentice. Paul trained him up. And now he's sending Timothy to the Corinthians. And look at verse 17. For this reason, I've sent Timothy to you, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, he'll remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy is going to point them to Paul and and, and remind them how Paul lives in response to Jesus. Timothy is going to go there to urge the Corinthians to have the cross-shaped lives too. It's kind of like Timothy's, he's a bit like a GPS, a bit like Google Maps. You know, I never really used to use Google Maps. I used to look up kind of the rough directions and I'd trust my instincts to figure out the rest. I'd get there in the end. Occasionally, just occasionally, not very often, but occasionally it wouldn't go so well and I'd have to do the embarrassing thing, pull over and ask someone for directions, but not very often. I got married though. And... And Pip used Google Maps all the time. I began to see the error of my ways. It's so easy. You never get lost. It's great. I know the right way to go now. That's kind of what Timothy is there to do. He's there to, 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 to say to the Corinthian church, no, 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 you've seen Paul. You've got to go this way. Don't go off over there. Keep going this way. It's not even just Timothy who's going to do this. Paul says, I'm going to come visit too. He wants to bring them into line with Jesus' kingdom. So he asks him, verse 21, how do you want me to come to you? Do you want me to come to discipline you? Am I going to have to pull you guys into line here? Or are you going to change? Can I come with gentleness and, and with love? You see what he's asking, right? He's asking, are you going to be cross-shaped? Because the cross-shaped life is the pattern, not just for leaders in the church, but for all of us to follow, the shape for all of us to trace in our lives, you and me included. Now, this doesn't mean that Christianity is, is like a cookie-cutter thing. It's not like becoming a Christian means you, you kind of stand there like a robot while someone drills something into the back of your head, and now you can know the exact right things to say and have the exact same interests and the exact same persuasions, and, and not like that at all. Think about the Prince. They're our mission partners in Cambodia. And one of the things they try to do over there is, is reach out to Buddhist monks, talk with them about Jesus. And when a monk becomes a Christian, you know, that's going to look different to someone in Australia, here in Adelaide, becoming a Christian. Because we live in a different culture and we face different issues. But even in Australia, we're we're all different people and it will look different for each of us. But the same imprint will be on anyone who wants to follow Jesus. It's the imprint of Jesus, the way he lived. And especially the way he lived when he went to the cross. The way he didn't chase it all in the here and now. 
the way he suffered and the way he sacrificed. That's the imprint on us all. Take a look at it on the screen. This is what Jesus said when he was living here on earth. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, a disciple is just someone who's a follower. Whoever wants to be my follower must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. It's the idea of dying to yourself. And he goes on, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. It's cross-shaped living. The Corinthian church, they thought it was about having it all in the here and now. Seeming impressive, mature, spiritual, reigning, being rich. That's not so different to Australia 2019, is it? Our markers of success are very similar. Jesus' words, though, stand in stark contrast to this. He says, follow the cross-shaped pattern of living. Be ready to trace out the same kind of life that I had. Be ready to miss out in the here and now. Be ready to sacrifice. How does that sit with you? Might be sitting here today thinking, boy, oh boy, Jesus needed a better marketing strategy than this, right? Don't sell your brand like that. You've got to give people a little more something, Jesus. It does seem like a kind of unattractive option, doesn't it? And we need to be upfront about this. See, if you're here today and, and you know really in your own life you're not on board with Jesus yet, if that's you... I want you to know that this is what Jesus is calling you to. If you do decide to follow Jesus, he's going to ask you to sacrifice, to give things up. He's going to restore you back to God. And then he's going to ask you to really follow him, to give up having it all in this life. Not to spend life chasing after your dreams and desires. Not to spend life protecting your own reputation but to sacrifice these things, to be, to be cross-shaped like Jesus was. It's a radical call. I do want you to know, Jesus, Jesus says that he promises us the good life, and he does. And it is good. It's, it's just not the easy life. It's not the have-it-all-now kind of life. If you want in with Jesus, you, you need to know this. This is not what makes you right with God. Jesus makes you right with God. But then he calls you to follow the pattern, to trace the outline, to live the cross-shaped life. How does that sit with you? I was at an event recently. Uh, a pastor from England was talking. His name was Ed Shaw. Some of you will know of this. Some of you may have been to some of his events that have been here recently. Anyway. Ed Shaw, he's telling this story of a woman. Uh, she was a lesbian and she became a Christian. So for her, following Jesus was all about sacrifice. For her, it meant sacrificing her sex life. 
which seems so crazy to most of us, to, to, to modern society. That's a crazy thing. So she'd be at church and she'd ask other people, what have you sacrificed for Jesus? She wasn't trying to put anyone off. It's just that her experience of following Jesus was one of sacrifice. It was a cross-shaped life. And she just wanted to ask others, what was that like for them too? It's kind of confronting, isn't it? We won't all look exactly the same as her. In fact, some of us will find it hard to relate to her example. So I want to tell you about someone else. I want to tell you about Elka. Elka was one of my youth group leaders, and she lived the cross-shaped life. Every Sunday afternoon, she'd give up her time to be with 25 ratty teenagers. Her peers at this point in time would be kicking back, putting their feet up, flicking the telly on, and relaxing before the working week started. Not Elka, she was busy. She was opening the Bible with us, cooking dinner for us, cleaning up after us. She'd have an eye to whatever teenager was having particular issues that week. She'd go and she'd spend time with them. When it was time for youth group camp, Elka would take holidays. Some of her annual leave each year was spent with us, ratty teenagers, in pretty not nice camping environments. She gave us her time. She gave us her energy. She did all the jobs that I wanted to do. When I ate too much uh, sugar one, one night at a youth group sleepover and spewed up, Elka was the one who came and cleaned it up. And it's not that she just did it for a little bit. Year in, year out, time after time. She was a woman who lived a cross-shaped life, who sacrificed. Are you here today as someone who follows Jesus? How has the cross shaped your life? What have you had to give up? To follow Jesus? Has it been your career promotion? You've given that up so you can take care of your family and lead them to know God? Has it been your own reputation? You've given that up so you can speak openly about Jesus, even if that means ridicule in your workplace? Have you given up constant traveling? So you can invest time in people, spending time with them, not going away all the time. Is it the expensive overseas holiday? You've not done it for a year, so you can be extra generous to our mission partners. What have you had to give up to follow Jesus? It's a challenging word for us to hear from the Bible today, isn't it? But it's the question we all need to ask. Are you in shape? Is your life cross-shaped? Let's pray to God and ask us, ask Him to help us apply this to our lives. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we so thank you for Jesus Christ. Jesus who gave up everything gave up his place in heaven with you to live amongst us, to sacrifice himself at the cross 
so that we can be restored to you. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that he restores us back to you again. Our prayer, Father, today is that you would help us follow his pattern of life, that we'd be cross-shaped in the way that we live. That's going to look different for each of us. And so we wanted to ask, Father, that you would help us all apply this to our own lives. Work by your Spirit in us, that having heard your word, we would change to please you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.